Hey, Father, we thank you that indeed you are great, and that every fiber in us just wants to exalt your name. We are unworthy creatures that you've bestowed grace upon grace in our lives. Before the foundation, you thought of us. 2,000 years ago, you sent your son to die for us. <laughs> and Lord, you have called us and you've given us the dwelling of the Spirit to sustain, to sanctify us. And Lord, there's a day we're going to be glorified in your midst for all eternity. Thank you. Guide us as we go to the text today, move Hophetus out of the way, and allow your word to speak as it promises it will. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would, turn to Colossians chapter 1. And as you're doing, I, we've not done too many announcements, so this morning I kind of wanted just to update you a little bit on what is happening at Community Bible Fellowship. And on the back of your bulletin, there are a few announcements, and you can see those. <clears throat> we do have an acting elder board at this moment until the bylaws are, are set in place, and, and we have a charter day in which membership will be official, and then we can vote. But I wondered if our, well, it's going to be hard to see with masks on, but if you could stand, Brad Bell is one of those elders. I don't know where you are. There you are, Brad. Jeff Cluxton. Jeff, if you would stand. All right, Tom Flynn. Where are you, Tom? He's probably out. Cheerle oh, there he is in the back. All right. Mike Razor and Gail Stoller. So, men, thank you for serving as acting elders. Uh, appreciate your, your work and, and helping out with the ministry here. Amy Flynn is serving as the ministry director, and so I'm so thankful for Amy. She's, uh, I can't keep up with her, but she's great. And uh, obviously, Austin... Myers, it's so good to have you as the worship leader for us. There's a few things to note in the bulletin. One is that uh, this week we will be launching a women's, well, I should say Iron to Iron, it's separate from the church, but Iron to Iron Ministry is launching a women's Bible study that's meeting on Monday nights. That's tomorrow, right, Pam and April? Ninety women have signed up for this Bible study. It is so exciting, and they're meeting at the Woodland Country Club. There are brochures from Iron to Iron out on the tables, and you can grab those uh, men, lest you think we've neglected you, uh, I teach for Iron to Iron, and men will be meeting on uh, Thursday morning from 7 to 7.50, and we would love to have you as we journey through Nehemiah and Ezra. We uh, had a break due to COVID, and so we're going to resume Nehemiah. The walls are not finished, so we got to get back to Nehemiah. So that's where we are there. Uh, as for nursery children and youth, I, I don't know if you realize, there's about 20 kids who make a beeline to Jack's Donuts after church. I've wanted to join them, I just can't get to them in time. But it is so good to see so many young people here, it's exciting. With that comes obviously uh, need for ministries, and, and that's in the process. I want to let you know that, it's not something we've forgot or neglected. And so we are working on nursery, <clears throat> excuse me, children and youth programs if you're interested in being a part of that, uh, you can. there's an email there. Obviously, it's not just issues with COVID. We've got legal issues and, and all of that that entails. So just be praying as we look to those ministries and launching those. And we also have a building land committee, which is exciting. Uh, we're here for six months. And after that, I don't know if they're going to boot us out or not. But uh, we're in a process of looking for land slash building. And there are Three men that are currently dealing with that, Mark Alt, Artie Booker, and Gail Stoller. And so I just want to thank those three men 
for their willingness to serve. But uh, again, if you're interested in helping out there, let them know, and uh, they, I'm sure, welcome your uh, feedback or interest. There's also a card that is at your chair. If you would like to, we're going to start a newsletter. We're still working on that, um, but that is available. And the good news is our website is up and running, so that's a yay. And so that is available too. As a kind of a, now we have a means to communicate, and we're excited about that. So there's some great things happening. Just be patient. We're only five weeks in, but uh, and you are. So uh, thank you for your prayers for this new ministry and your support. Well, what we came for this morning is God's word, right? So let's get to it. <clears throat> We left off, if you've just joined us, we've been moving through Colossians, and 1.15 through 20 is this in, incredible Christological passage. Uh, if you can't preach that text, you need to hang it up. <laughs> it is a glorious text. And we looked at Christ is head over the creation, he's also head over the church. And he closes out that section in verse 20, and through him, that is Christ, to reconcile all things to himself by making peace through the blood of the cross, through him, whether things on earth or things in earth. And then he springs into this next passage, and this is what we're going to be looking at this morning. Paul starts, and you. It's emphatic. <laughs> He's looked at Christ, and now he comes to them, and he says, uh, and you. He says, you were at one time strangers and enemies in your mind, as expressed through your evil deeds, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through death to present you holy, without blemish and blameless before him. If indeed you remain in the faith, established and firm, without shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, this gospel has been preached in all creation under heaven, and I, it's emphatic as well, Paul, have become its servant. Seven times in Paul's writings, he will say, I'm a servant of the gospel. Reconciliation is the term that's used twice in verse, well, once in verse 20, then again it's repeated here in verse 22. Paul is the only New Testament writer that will use the term. We talked a little bit about it last week, talking about how it's to remove the barrier. And here we're talking not with individuals, but with God himself, right? Removing the barrier that we have with God and the enmity that we had with him. Let's face it, throughout history, humanity has tried to remove the barrier to be closer to God. Simon or Simeon the Stylite, do you know this fellow from the fifth century? He literally spent 37 years on the top of a pillar. He built a platform, it was 10 feet, then he moved it to 50 feet, 37 years, one, he wanted to get away from people <laughs> so he could commune with God. I think people would have to be involved in giving him food, but we won't go there. And then secondly, uh, he, he, he wanted to be close to God. And so this monk from the 5th century spent 37 years on top of a pillar. <laughs> what we will do to have a right relationship with the Lord Almighty in the Evangelical Dictionary of Theology, White states that reconciliation is the central concept in Christianity. It's God removing the barrier of sin, producing peace, and enabling men and women to be saved. And that's what Paul's highlighting here in verse 21. In fact, he's going to give us five things that we need to know about this 50-cent word, 
reconciliation. And if you're taking notes, let me give these to you. The first of these is our reconciliation was needed because of our sin. Right? We see that, right, from the get-go. And you, and then he lays this out and he draws such a contrast between Christ who is exalted in all his glory, and then he looks at us and he says, oh yeah, you were louses. <laughs> it's kind of like an art gallery hanging a, a photo of, or a painting of the Mo, a Monet painting and then hanging up one of my Aunt Chloe's latchwork pieces. Uh, it doesn't work, right? And, and this is the idea. Here's Christ. Oh, and, and then there's you. <laughs> Let's get to you, right? He says, you were once strangers and enemies in your mind. Notice this, you were once, but now you are, is typical of Paul. If you, that phrase sounds familiar, it is very Pauline. But there's a couple things to note here. First of all, our, their situation was in the past. Strangers and enemies are laced in ancient writings to refer to idolatry and immorality. He says, this is, this is how you have been marked in the past. And he's going to, again, weave this in with reconciliation. It's interesting when Paul refers to reconciliation in 2 Corinthians 5, and even in here, there is overtones, there are terms that are reminiscent of the Damascus Road. Remember that occasion? Remember, Paul was a murderer. He was pursuing Christians. And it's interesting, one scholar writes that it was there that Paul was told by God to forget the past sin of acting in hostility and persecuting the church and to start rejoicing in God's new creation of him in Christ. And Paul, I'm, I'm sure he's looking at a mirror and he goes, look what Christ has done for me. This is what he's done for us. He is reconciled. He's brought, and the past has been done away with. And the problem is often it's believers who want to continue to wallow in the past. Well, you don't know what I've done. Right? I've heard that. <laughs> I remember R.C. Sproul, he, he said he had an individual come up and say, I, I've asked God to forgive me. And, and this individual said, I've done it so many times. You know, how many more times do I need to do it? And Sproul said, oh, it's simple. One more time. <laughs> and and, and, and he, he looked at me, yes? He goes, yes, you need to ask God forgiveness for not taking him at his word. You were once these things, strangers and enemies in your minds, <laughs> but we've been reconciled, right? And this is where he's going with this. He said, those were the things that you once did, and, and notice where it's rooted. In your actions? <laughs> no, in your minds. It's expressed through your actions, but it's up here. It's in the noggin, Right? Romans 12, Paul writes, I exhort you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice, alive, holy, and pleasing to God, which is a reasonable service, right, he says. Do not be conformed to this present world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. That, this is it. It starts in the cognitive, in fact, I would argue that a sinful behavior or action is seldom impulsive. It has time to percolate in the mind. They've mulled over it. They've thought through it. They've entertained it. And all of a sudden, it comes out, you know, in one's actions. 
But it's in the heart. It's in, it's in the mind. I, mean, I think of my mama, right? I was going to go do something that's, she goes, don't you do that. I go, how did you know that? Because I know what you're thinking, <laughs> right? It, it starts here. And, and, and that's the idea here. He it says, you were enemies in your minds expressed through evil deeds. We didn't love God. We were alienated from him. That's, that's the message of the New Testament. It's why we need a Savior. Otherwise, why did Christ have to come and die? The responsibility of our alienation is not based upon our upbringings, our social surroundings, or even Satan. Our need for reconciliation is based upon our own thoughts and actions, right? That's the whole point of what Paul's trying to state here. He says, listen, you were alienated in your minds through your evil deeds. You can't blame anybody else, right? There's, <laughs> you want a sense of entitlement? It's here. You're entitled to your sin and the consequences that it bears. And, and that's the message that Paul is saying. Listen, this is where you were. And so first, our reconciliation is needed because of our sin. But here's the good news. The second part, which comes into verse 22, is our reconciliation was obtained through the death of Christ. He's already highlighted this, alluded to it earlier in chapter 1. He mentions it in uh, verse 20, and now he says, and now he's reconciled you, and here's the means, by his physical death through death to present you holy. We'll get to that in a minute. There is, remember this church is, is a group of people that Paul has never met. He did not establish the church at Colossae there nestled above the Lycus Valley. He, he wasn't responsible for it. He's known about them. He's heard about this congregation. And one thing he's heard is that there is some false teaching that's percolating uh, in their community. And so as he's writing, and, and again, it's, we've talked about this, it's like the phone game. Uh, you hear, or the phone, the Charlie Brown thing, you, you hear this, wah, 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 wah. Yeah, well, I was telling you, wah, 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 wah. You don't know what the, the second part is saying, but you can piece it together. And when we study this letter to the church at Colossae, we know there's false teaching. And one of the things that is percolating is this idea, Christ never really came into the flesh. And this idea he died, oh, come on, that's crazy. And so I think Paul's trying to highlight, no, this Savior died. He had to die. His sin need, or your sin needed to be atoned for. My sin needed to be atoned for through the blood of the cross. And so he's highlighting that throughout this writing. And I think that's loud and clear. He, this Christ, this one who is supreme, who's the invisible image of the invisible God, the one who is over the, new, the church, the new creation, this one is the one that took our blame so that we could be blameless. <laughs> I wrote it's costly. It was painful. It was earth shattering. And it was amazing. That's our Savior. Reconciliation, thankfully, we don't have to get on a pedestal that's 50 feet in the air and hope that we can get closer to God. <laughs> no, it's made possible because of Christ's death. Romans 5 says, For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. I mean, think about this. If you know Romans, Paul's already talked about how the, the, the moralists, the goody two-shoes, still need 
a savior, how the Jewish people still need a savior. And in case he missed anyone, he gets to three and says, oh, there's none righteous. <laughs> and, and then he moves into five, and that's where he says, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of the Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. That's what Paul's stating here to the church at Colossae. He's shown this beautiful portrait of Christ, and he says, now let's look at you. <laughs> Looks like a finger painting, right? But that's not what God sees, because we have been restored. The reconciliation has been made possible through the death of Christ. Are you willing to rely on Christ's death for your eternal destiny? Is Jesus Christ reliable enough and good enough Savior for you to trust Him? Which would you rather trust? I mean, think about this. Before Standing before God, would you want your own life or do you want Christ's life? <laughs> and if you need to think about it, let me turn your eyes back to 15 through 20 of this chapter. The one who serves as creator and head of the church is the one who has given his life for us. We don't bring anything to this table. And if we did, I mean, let's face it, our pocketbooks aren't big enough. <laughs> our talents, they're not impressive enough. Our looks, well, they're not outstanding enough. And our service, it's just not sufficient enough. We are bankrupt before a mighty God. I love the lyrics to the old hymn, All That Thrills My Soul. All that thrills my soul is Jesus every day and every hour. Jesus and his free salvation. Jesus and his mighty power. All that thrills my soul is Jesus. He's more than life to me. And the fairest him 10,000 in my blessed Lord I see. The lyrics go on. He is love beyond all knowledge. He is grace beyond degree. Mercy higher than the heaven, deeper than the deepest sea. What a wonderful redemption, never can a mortal know how my sin, though red like crimson, can be whiter than snow. In your everlasting city with the ransomed I will sing and forever and forever praise and glorify the King. All that thrills my soul is Jesus. As Paul writes to the church at Colossae who is I think buckling a little under the pressure and, and the false teachers who are coming against the church, he says, oh, don't lose sight of what Christ has done. It's what Jesus said to the church at Ephesus when they they'd lost their love and feeling. Remember that? <laughs> they weren't on fire for God like they used to be. And I'd had more, I've had more than one student sitting in an office saying, I'm not excited about Jesus like I was when I first got saved. Ah, well, the solution is in, in found in Revelation. <laughs> because Paul says, or Christ says to the church at Ephesus, remember where Christ has brought you. Look what he has done. And as he writes to the church at Colossae, and he showed us this beautiful portrait of Jesus, he says, listen, reconciliation is brought because 
we needed it because of our sin. It's been attained through Christ. Third point here is that reconciliation results in presenting us holy. Did you catch that in verse 22? Let's go back to the text and look at this. That's the, he says through death to present you. Here's the purpose of why he died on a cross. To present you holy without blemish. It has some sacrificial overtones, that term does, but it also can be judicial and blameless before him. The idea of present here almost always in the New Testament is referring to the end. What his desire is is not that he's just reconciled you, but he'll sustain you, and at the end he's going to present you to the Father holy and blameless, right? 1 Corinthians 1, you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus who will sustain you and guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus. The realization that Christ has redeemed you from the bondage of sin and promises to sustain you to the end should give you great encouragement. He's concerned not only about the present, that is Christ, but he's also concerned about our future and how this all plays into this the, 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 the text is clear. He's looking to present you holy without blemish and blameless before him. Now, the next phrase has created a lot of consternation. <laughs> there has been much ink spilled. In fact, there are five major views of what does it mean if indeed you remain in the faith. I'm assuming the faith here is the gospel, but what does it mean? Does it mean you can't remain? It means you could go out... Are you forfeiting something? What is going on here in this text? And there are a lot of views. <clears throat> and I'm going to argue the immediate context is extremely important. I don't think he's linking us back, Paul, is back to reconciliation. That's been established. But he's linking us to pre being presented. It's the desire that he is going to see us to the end and then present us wholly. But in the process of sanctification, that is being set apart as believers, we must do our part. Now, the conditional statement, let me read this again, is not to, to the reconciliation, but the presentation. The, the believer must continue to have faith or trust for Christian living, but I would argue it's not for salvation. What's the basis for those arguments? Let me give you five. Number one, the presentation of the Lord is always speaking to the quality of the presentation. This idea that we're being presented, again, is referring to the end, the quality that's there. Furthermore, we've already recognized these believers in Colossae are saved. There's no question of their salvation. He's made that very clear. Third, I would argue salvation is not dependent on what we do. It's what Christ has accomplished. After all, we were aliens we were foreigners until Christ stepped in. Fourth, the fruit of hope. Now watch this. If indeed you remain in the faith, he says, established and firm, without shifting from the hope of the gospel. Earlier he mentions hope. Look at this at the beginning of the chapter. This is key as well. In verse 5, your faith and love have risen from the hope laid up for you where? In heaven. He's looking at the end, and, and I would argue the fruit of hope is sanctification. It's the spiritual fruit that's, that comes out of our hope that's rooted in the end. And finally, 
Paul desires spiritual maturity for the audience. This is where he's going to be going in the letter. And so this idea is if indeed you remain in the faith, that is that that way you can be presented holy without blemish is one way to take this and that's where I'm landing today. But he says if you remain in the faith established and firm without shifting from the hope of the gospel. Three things there, right? That one, you're firmly established, that there is, there's a solid foundation in which you're rooted in. Secondly, that you're steadfast. 1 Corinthians 15, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And then the third is clinging to hope. And as we stated, hope expresses the assurance that believers will realize what God has promised. It's the anchor for spiritual maturity. So when we look at this text, the immediate context, I would argue here, is that he's talking about what, what you will be like when you're presented. By remaining faithful in the things of the Lord will allow you to be presented holy and blameless when you appear before God. And then he says this gospel has been preached, and we'll get to that in a minute, but clinging to the hope I don't know if you received the voice of the martyrs in the latest issue. There was an article on my friend Andrew Brunson. We went to school together in Aberdeen. Andrew was the American pastor who was imprisoned in Turkey and was recently released. Listen to what Andrew states about the midst of despair. Andrew said that although we know he knew God's grace was with him in prison, for much of the time it was an unfelt grace. He didn't feel joy. He didn't feel God's presence. He didn't hear God's voice, and he couldn't understand why. In the midst of that spiritual darkness, Andrew made a decision based not on emotion, but on a conscious act of the will. I will lean into Jesus even if I can't feel his presence, and even if he remains silent, I will be steadfast. And he says, and I will spend the rest of, even if I have to spend the rest of my life in prison. Listen to what he would do. <laughs> he says, I would wake up and I would say, rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. He's looking to the end. And that's what Paul's saying to these Colossae, believers at Colossae. Look to the end. This is where your hope is. He talked about how he would get up and he would jump and dance in, the, in his cell uh, for the Lord. He said, I would do that for about five minutes, leaping around, not feeling anything, but saying, I am going to declare I'm doing this for Jesus. I'm suffering for Jesus. It will bring reward, and I want to be obedient and count this as joy. Wow. Andrew Brunson understood what this text is saying. Be steadfast. Remain in faith. Be firm and don't shift and cling to the hope, even when you don't feel like it. The problem when we base our theology on feelings and experiences is we're going to be in deep doo-doo. That's a biblical term. <laughs> be careful, right? It must be rooted in the Word of God. And I love how Andrew said, even when it didn't feel right, I cling to Christ. Cling to the hope. Well, our reconciliation, it's needed because of our sin. It's obtained through the death of Christ. 
it presents us holy before the Lord and it calls us to remain faithful. And there's one more point that Paul brings out here, and that is our reconciliation is good news for the entire world. He says that with shifting from the hope of the gospel, this gospel has been preached in all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become a servant. You know, look at that. There's two, two sub points here. First of all, we are not an isolated group. <laughs> Isn't that great? There are strong Bible-believing churches throughout our communities, and we lock arms as we allow Christ to be glorified in our midst. And, and Paul's saying that. I, you only need to look across the Lycus Valley to see Laodicea or Hierapolis. There were believers there. And as a reminder to them, this gospel is going out among all people. And secondly, Paul's statement here that he's a servant indicates his purpose and identity to the gospel. As Christ followers, how do you identify yourself in relationship to the gospel? Is it a good friend? Fire insurance? <laughs> are you an admirer? Or are you a servant? Indebted and dictated by the glorious gift of reconciliation. Thankfully, again, we don't have to go 50 feet up in the air and spend the life on a platform. <laughs> no, I would argue we've been taken to the very presence of God Almighty through an anchor that is sure, that is Christ. It was made possible through his death. And has, he is working and transforming us into the image of his son. And we cling to the hope that we have, steadfast and sure. And as we do, may we be noted as servants of the gospel dictated and governed by this glorious message. Rejoice, O Christian. You have been reconciled through Christ. Father, there are a lot of 50-cent words today, reconciliation. It can be difficult. Bottom line, we have a relationship with you. Lord, this isn't something we devised. In fact, Paul says, who, would, who could have imagined? <laughs> who would know the mind of the Lord? It's not something we have purchased. You already did that with your son's blood. All we are called to do is to respond in repentance, recognizing our sin and our great barrier, our hostility towards you, the creator of the universe, to repent, to recognize that Christ has paid for our sin and to embrace it. Lord, if there's someone here this morning that does not have a reconciled relationship with you, oh, they've done the church thing, but there's no personal relationship. Lord, I, I pray that you would work in their heart even this morning. For some in this room, the past has shackled them and they're still living in the alienation of the past, and, and, and Lord, help them to move forward. For some in this room, Lord, we're getting tripped up in the process of being blameless in the end game, or hope is kind of fleeting. Father, shore our weak knees, help us in our walk with you. 
Lord, we, we so long to be used by you in a mighty way and to know you intimately. Thank you for your word in Jesus' name.